Psalm 32, 1 to 8. I read. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my growing all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the law, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with a shout of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Amen. And our preacher this morning is uh, Reverend Dr. David Duray. And uh, you hear him this morning as he brings us God's word. Wow, it's good to be back with you. Oh, it's, it's an honor to be with you today. I love you, and it's great to be home. It's great to be home. We're going to share together in God's Word in Psalm 32. What a great theme you have going now. I love the theme. Uh, but first, let me just talk to you about a, a lady that the story was related by Robert Coles of a lady who was such a great help to children that she cared for in the sense that she was a bus driver for schools. Now, in America, children go to school and there are buses that go around and pick them up and take them to the school. Now, that's not true everywhere, but it is in America. And this lady drove a school bus. She got to know the children on the bus. And she wanted to help them, so she encouraged them. She talked to them about their quizzes and, and celebrated their victories. And so she was known as a great servant to these children. And that's a great motivation to want to help the children. But she also had another motivation that worked deep in her soul. Her auntie, when this woman was young, said that you had to do something that God would notice or you would get lost in the big shuffle at the judgment day and go to hell. Whew. So she was spending her whole life in fear of going to hell if she didn't do something that God would notice. What a way to live. And so she would go to church to show she was loyal. She would do good deeds hoping that God would hear from them how well she was doing and take notice of her. In America, 
If you ask someone on the street, do you think you're going to heaven? They will say, yes, I think so. Then you ask them, why do you think that? Why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, because I'm a good person. Or at least I'm better than most. You see, that's why we have television news in America. It tells us all the bad things people are doing so that we can feel better than them, right? (laughs) I'm not that bad. I must be okay. No, that's not why. But a person might also say, well, I've done more good than I've done bad. And they think, okay, if that's the way it weighs out, then I'm okay. But the Apostle Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have a sin problem. We all are trying to manage our sin, and our sin separates us from relationship to God. Even after we're believers, if we sin, there's an offense. Just like with my wife and I, we try not to let any sin or offense last. We immediately try to take care of it because there's a break in that relationship. Well, even more so, there's a break in my relationship with God when I sin and fail. So we share this common human issue. No matter what culture, no matter what country, everywhere in the world, people are trying to deal with this aspect of sin. This chair here, covered, represents our life with sin. We are trying to cover the sin. We're trying to do something to make it look good. Some like myself, will try to earn God's approval. Try to do something good so that God will take notice. Others, it's being religious, something to believe. I'll believe what God says. I'll believe the right things. I'll do the right things, rituals. And and then others uh, try to do things. uh, They keep the rules. I don't want to break the rules. I'll do what I should, and I won't do what I shouldn't. They're trying to cover their sin and manage their sin. Some become uh, filled with self-hatred. And they, they are self-destructive in their behaviors, try to punish themselves for their sin, thinking that that would take care of it. Others will numb the, the pain of sin through drugs, alcohol, or sex. And some still try to deny that God even exists because if there is no God, I guess there's no sin. There's no problem. Many different ways people try to manage their sin in every culture and every place in all the world. And so today we're going to look to the nation of Israel, the king of Israel, King David, and see what he teaches us. In Psalm 32, it says that we cannot manage our sin. We must find forgiveness through God's unfailing love. Say that with me, God's unfailing love. Again, God's unfailing love. That's our hope. That's our hope today. David, the king of Israel, was, a, was known as a man after God's own heart. He had a special relationship with God. He was gifted. He had a worshiping heart, and God responded to him. Yet later in his life, he sinned greatly. You know the story. 
He did not go off to war as the kings normally did. He stayed home. He saw Bathsheba, and he asked that she be brought to him, and she, he had an affair with her. He sinned, and then he tried to cover that sin by having Bathsheba's husband sent to the front of the line where he was then killed, all in an effort to cover the sin, to make it look good, make everything look normal, everything okay. But you know that it wasn't. The prophet Nathan came, said, you are the man. He pointed out David's sin. When we realize our sin, we have an opportunity. We can try to cover that sin, continue to hide it, or we can confess it. And David, at this point, chose to respond in this way. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Those were the the words of David. That's how he responded when he was confronted with his sin. That's the right way to respond. David confessed his sin, and he found forgiveness and restoration. He rediscovered God's unfailing love. In Psalm 51, verse 13, David vowed to share what he had learned when he received forgiveness after his costly sins. Psalm 32 is one of seven penitent psalms that David wrote. He wrote about how to overcome sin. And so we look at this today. We will go through just step by step through these verses and see what God has to teach us. First, in verses 1 and 2, David proclaims the blessing of being right with this God of unfailing love. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That We start with the goal. That's what we want. We want to have that relationship of being blessed of God and living in a right relationship with Him. Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul beautifully relates David's theme that we cannot manage our sin, but we must find forgiveness through God's unfailing love. The Apostle Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work with those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Then on in verse 8, it says something familiar. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Say with me that word gift. Gift gift. Think about that. It's the gift of God. As a parent, if you give a gift to your children, 
Wouldn't it make you sad? My son, I give him a gift, and he says, Oh, thank you, Papa. What must I do to earn this gift? No, it's a gift. It's yours. It's yours now. You don't have to wait. You can enjoy it. It's given freely out of love. Wouldn't it make us sad as parents if our children were to say to us, what must I do now to earn this blessing that you've given me? How much more is God's heart sad when we try to earn that which he so freely has given to us? Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Here, David proclaims the futility of trying to hide your sin, your guilt, and your shame. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now, I have one question. When I come to Ghana, I can't tell if it's summer or not. Is this summer or is this the dead of winter? It's so cold. must be winter. I just arrived uh, here in Ghana. When I left Minnesota, it was minus 24 Celsius. Now, if you go home and your freezer is working well, I want you to take... Some of you have this nice shiny head like me. Put it in the freezer. Close the door as much as you can. Stay there for a couple minutes. That is minus 17. Now, where I lived, when I left, I walked outside. It was colder than my freezer. That is cold. So I come here, and in Fahrenheit temperature, it was 101 degrees warmer here. It was 34 here, minus 24 back home. <laughs> you you got to love planet Earth. It's fun. So when you come to visit me in Minnesota, please come in July when it, it can be 34. Okay? So you'll feel at home then. Don't come in January. Uh, you'll know that it's winter. So David here, when he was attempting to hide his own sin... You can see that he said, day and night, your hand was heavy on me. That's quite an expression, but it it gives us a sense of how he was feeling when he had sinned in his life. He felt the weight of God's judgment on him. That's how he felt. We understand that, don't we? We've had those feelings of guilt, feelings of shame. David could not see God's unfailing love because he was focused on hiding and managing him his sin. He was trying to look good in spite of what was wrong inside. In verse 5, David illustrates how to obtain forgiveness from our God of unfailing love. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Amen. The key word there is confess. Let's say that together. Confess. Say it again. Confess. What is to confess? Wow, that's a key word. It means I admit it. I admit I did it. 
I admit I didn't do what I should. I, I admit I did something that was wrong, a sin. So we acknowledge it. We stop trying to cover it. We acknowledge it. And in our case, we, we really come to this place. So I stop trying to cover my sin and to look good. I mean, I, I don't wear a suit every day, but I clean up okay, don't I? Do I look okay? I look good. That's about as good as I can ever look. Okay? But that doesn't, that doesn't show you anything in my heart. I can look bad on the inside and still cover up. What I want is to look good on the inside. So I have to come to this place where I confess. I'm very free to confess to Jesus Christ what I've done wrong. And so that's what he wants us to do. In fact, in 1 John 1.9, the Apostle John encourages us as believers. He's writing to us when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It's like taking a spiritual shower on the inside. We can clean up on the outside, but what we need is to be clean on the inside, and only God does that. And that's a beautiful thing. He provides what we could not provide. When I was 15 years of age, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, do you know a lot of 15-year-olds who are theologians? That's an odd question. No, not really. So when I became a Christian, I came with some really bad theology. I came to Jesus and I said, I feel so much weight of sin in my life. You don't have to do a lot of sin to feel the heavy hand of God, do you? <laughs> but I'd done enough when at age 15. I, I felt the weight of my sin and I wanted forgiveness. And I asked for forgiveness of my sin. And I, I determined, I'm going to live for Jesus. Even if he doesn't accept me or allow me to go to heaven, I'm going to live for Jesus. Now, that's bad theology. That's really bad theology. God accepts people who have bad theology. And he begins to take us and train us. I mean... When we're born again as, as Christians, we're born as babies. So many times we have thinking and actions that are like babies too. The same was true in my life. I had some bad theology. And God had to help me. And he helped me grow. Continued to help me grow. I became a pastor. And then at one point, I was actually assigned in our church. We had a large church like this. So as a pastor, they said, David... We want you to preach on the Holy Spirit, God's seal, and guarantee. And I said, okay. And I began to study that, and wow, did that change my life. I thought, these are good things. And so let me share with you Ephesians 1.13, which is one of the passages that relates to God, the Holy Spirit, as our seal and guarantee. In verse 13, it says, 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's a short passage, but so powerful. We don't use seals on letters much anymore, but you've seen it on television. You've seen maybe a, a scroll or, a, or an important document that has a seal, a wax seal on it, and you have to break the seal. Now, who can open that seal? Only the person for whom it's intended. You have to have the authority to open that seal. Then in the government of times of Rome, they put a seal on Jesus' tomb, indicating that only the Roman government had this authority to break the seal. And so if you saw the seal of Rome and you broke that seal, you knew that you had to run from the wrath of Rome. You did not have the authority to do that. Well, we look here, we are marked in God. We're marked with a seal. What is the seal? The Holy Spirit. And so all the forces of hell don't have the authority to break that seal. I have the Holy Spirit that marks my life. I'm His. I belong to Him. I'm marked with a seal. You cannot break that seal. Wow! I have protection through the Holy Spirit. Also, the Holy Spirit it says, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So I'm God's possession and I'm protected, but what we see here is the Holy Spirit is a down payment. Now, when I purchased a home, I had to put a down payment on that home to show that I would pay the rest. If for some reason I said, no, I don't want the home, what happened to that down payment? I lose it. Does God not show here that He wants you forever? He made Himself the down payment for your eternal destiny. The Holy Spirit of God is a down payment for you, for heaven. It's a bit of heaven on earth. You have the Holy Spirit if you've received forgiveness of sins through the Son of Jesus, His Son, Jesus Christ. You have been given the Holy Spirit as a seal, and you've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment of your eternal destiny. Amen. Wow. I mean, you've got to take God at His word. And that's what He says. He has given us His Holy Spirit to indwell us as a guarantee of our eternal relationship with Him, this God of unfailing love. Then in verses 6 and 7, David reminds God's people to find their peace in God's unfailing love. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs 
of deliverance. And then in verse 8, we see a shift, a change. God's promises, God promises more than forgiveness. He promises He will be our guide and He will guide us through life. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. It's obvious that there's been a shift in who's speaking here. David has been saying everything up to this time, and now it is actually God speaking. God not only wants to forgive our sins, He wants to be in a vital relationship with us, a practical day-by-day relationship with us. He wants us to walk and live victorious. In John's gospel, Jesus said these words, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul gives further illustration of how the indwelling Spirit of God should guide and empower us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, he says, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. God wants not only to forgive our sins so that He cleanses us from everything inwardly, but He wants to walk with us so that we can walk in the Spirit. So in conclusion, we share a common humanity. We have sinned and we all try to cover or manage our sin. So here's the chair. Oh, it doesn't look so good. That's my sin chair. Oh, now it looks good. See, we we cover. We try to hide that which is underneath. But we can't really do that. We can look good on the outside, but not doesn't say what's on the inside at all. Some try to do it, as I did, by earning God's approval or being religious. Some do it through self-hatred and self-destruction, trying to punish themselves Others do drugs, alcohol, or sex to numb the pain of our guilt and shame. And others deny that God even exists. But in Psalm 32, David teaches us, do not try to hide or cover your sins. Confess your sins to the Lord, to this God of unfailing love, and enter into His rest. And then allow God to guide you through life in the way of righteousness through His indwelling Holy Spirit. I think of the prodigal son story. It's a great illustration of so many things, but let's look at it just briefly in this light. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. You know the story. One son said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. He wanted it ahead of time. And so the father divided the the inheritance and gave the son his share. And the younger son then gathered all that he had and went off to a far country where he squandered his wealth 
in wild living. Finally, he became so destitute, he hired himself out to feed the pigs. Of course, a Jew feeding the pigs, that's getting pretty low. So he was there, and of all things, here's this rich man's son who longed for eating the pods that were being fed to the pigs, but no one even gave him that. Finally, he came to his senses, and he said, the workers in my father's house, they have plenty of food and, and enough to spare. They have leftovers. I would love the leftovers. I will go to my father and I will say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Oh, I will, I will come and I will be as one of your servants. So he did. He went back to his father, but his father saw him a long way off. And he ran to him, and he hugged him, and he kissed him, and he welcomed him back, and he said, bring a robe and put it on him. Give him a ring of authority. Let's fill the, uh, kill the fatted calf and have a celebration for this son of mine who was lost is found. When the son who sinned sought to cover his sin, he lived in anguish. But then he came and he confessed and ran into the arms of God's unfailing love. Self-punishment was not going to be the solution, only confession and restoration. And for us, it's there through Jesus Christ's blood shed on the cross for us. Amen? Amen. So our application today is this. Are you trying to manage or cover your own sin to live in your own strength? Or are you running to the God of unfailing love to receive His forgiveness and then seeking to walk in the Holy Spirit day by day to live in His power to please God? Don't live in your own power to please God. Let Him empower you. You can see it's all from Him and to Him. So don't try to manage or cover your sins. Confess them to our God of unfailing love and enter his rest. Amen. Thank you.